Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring human encounters with alien beings. My guest is Professor Bruce Solheim, a professor of history at Citrus College in Southern California. He is also the author of a trilogy of books all titled Timeless. Timeless, a personal paranormal history, timeless deja vu, and timeless Trinity. He is also the author of a new series of comic books called Snark, also involving, <laughs> in a somewhat humorous fashion, human encounters with aliens. This is an internet interview, and I'll switch over now to the internet video. Welcome, Bruce. It's a pleasure to see you once again. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. It's great to be back. Yeah, now we've done a couple of uh, earlier interviews describing a variety of uh, inner experiences that you've had, including, uh, I would have to call it telepathic experiences with the deceased. But in your current book, you go a step further. You're, you're looking at communication with uh, ostensible alien intelligence. And, and you begin by saying that you, you never expected this of yourself. You never thought that you would be reporting things like alien abductions. Right. It's, I mean, it really is an exploration uh, the further I get into this. I mean, I knew I started with the first book. Uh, I kind of just kind of you know, dipped my toes in the water a little bit to test it out. And Second one went a little bit further, and the third one I was ready to go as far as I could go. So because I didn't, you know, I didn't get fired from my job or anything from the first two books, I figured it was okay. So I know that I'm, uh, yeah, it's it's an exploration, and I really don't know where it's going to end up. To tell you the truth, Jeffrey, and it's kind of it's exciting and kind of a little bit frightening at the same time. I'd have to say, like any exploration. At one point, you were prompted to seek the help of a hypnotherapist. Uh, why don't we st – let's start there. What was it that uh, triggered that impulse that you, you felt you should engage in hypnotherapy? Yeah, it was um, my friend Terry Lovelace, who's a uh, – he's a best-selling author, uh, Incident at Devil's Den. He's a former Air Force uh, – uh, guy, he was in the Air Force. He's a former uh, state attorney general, former attorney general for uh, assistant attorney general for uh, American Samoa. So he's a well-credentialed guy that, you know, he's a district attorney. You know, he's this kind of guy. Uh, he wrote this book and I was on a show uh, after him on a particular show. I can't remember the name of it. And we st struck up a friendship and I read his book and some things started to resonate with me at, in this exploration that we're talking about. So I didn't really intend for this to happen. And all of a sudden, I started thinking about a couple of things that have happened to me in my life. A couple of them stood out. And I said, there, I think there's more to this story. So we got into a conversation and he uh, mentioned Yvonne Smith, who uh, we both know, uh, uh, a hypnotherapist who deals with folks who have been abducted or had alien contact. 
And uh, so I went ahead and, and sent a, uh, a note to her, an email, and she sent me a pretty extensive uh, like a thing to fill out uh, to kind of see where I was coming from and then saw that, you know, I was probably okay. <laughs> and then uh, we scheduled an appointment. So that's kind of how it started. I think it was, uh, it was rather unexpected, although I knew there were things that I hadn't explored enough in the first two books that I would eventually have to do in the third but I didn't know exactly how far it would go. So it's kind of exciting and, like I said, frightening at the same time. So your friend Terry, who is uh, a, quite an accomplished attorney, just like you are an accomplished professor of history, uh, uh, he reports in his, his book that he had been abducted. Yes, yes. And in 1977... Uh, was the incident at Devil's Den in Arkansas. Him and another, there are actually two of them, and both Air Force guys. Uh, one of them, his friend is deceased now, but they went through it together. And it's quite an interesting story. Uh, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but you know, it involves you know military intelligence debriefing them and an implant and all kinds of stuff. So at the, at the beginning of the book, I said, well, this is you know, it's that boggle factor you get. And it's like, wait a second, I don't know what to think about this. But then I saw, well, this is a, you know, very well respected man. And I've talked to him. He's really nice. He's, he seems like he's on the ball about everything. So uh, I took him at his word and I read the book and did some research. And I thought, wow, there's, there's more to be, uh, to be looked into here, more than I thought at the, you know, at, at the beginning of this exploration. When you began to think about your own childhood, what were what were some of the the things that triggered uh, this impulse to get hypnotherapy? What were you suspecting? Yeah, well, there was a particular incident, and the, probably the most interesting in terms of from a research perspective is the one that happened to me also in 1977, which is just maybe coincidental. I don't know. Maybe there aren't coincidences, but. Uh, he, uh, uh, it was a trip that I took with my friend and I call him Ernie in the book because he told me not to use his name. So, uh, it was a trip that we took a road trip a year after we graduated from high school. And our trip was to go to Salt Lake city from Seattle to Salt Lake city, to Las Vegas, to LA, and then back up the coast, back to Seattle. Well, we got as far as Idaho the first day, we got kind of a late start. And I knew there was something strange. My conscious memories were very strange already. So I begin with that. And uh, so I, I remember that we almost, uh, uh, we fell asleep as we were driving in, near Boise on a two-lane highway. And uh, I, I woke up just in time to see a, a truck coming right at us. And I yelled at Ernie. He moved the wheel or I moved the wheel. We got out of the way and we both decided, well, we have to find a place to sleep. This is ridiculous. And because we were only 18 or 19 at the time, we didn't have much money. So we said, well, let's just go to a state park or a campground or something. And we found one. Well, we thought we found one at uh, Black Pine Peak Wilderness uh, in Idaho. And it really was a wilderness. And we drove up this forest road and uh, we never got to the campground. I don't know if we passed it because it was so dark or if we never got to it, but we were so tired. We just pulled over to the side of the road. There was a clearing there. And that's when the weird stuff started to happen. We already had the weird thing with the near, near death experience with that truck. Uh, I remember we, we were too tired to put up our tents. We were just, I was in the driver's seat trying to sleep, put the seat back. He was in the passenger seat of my parents' Volvo station wagon. And, uh, 
I remember it was very hard to fall asleep, very uncomfortable. And I remember there being lights. This is, these are my conscious memories. There were lights. There were sounds, very strange sounds, um, kind of a weird smell, uh, like it was raining, but it wasn't raining. Uh, and uh, those are the. And then I thought there were people outside of the car, but I was so tired. I was this half asleep, half awake, and I couldn't move. I just was so tired. And th those are my conscious memories. Um, so what I did is I decided I'm going to start with that with Yvonne. I'm going to start with that. We're going to look at that uh, incident because I suspected there was something else going on because there were other weird things that I didn't mention. Like I kept seeing uh, large black birds when we took off uh, from Seattle, from our, my home. And I don't know if they're ravens or crows, but they were there. And then there were, which is not unusual necessarily in that part of the country. And then uh, we stopped uh, at a rest stop on the way to Idaho in eastern Washington that later I found out was um, uh, the overlook on Manistash Ridge, which is supposedly where Mel's Hole is. You know, so there's all these weird coincidences or whatever. And there were also birds there. And uh, so I don't know what that has to do with it. But anyway, it's, it, it was very strange. And um, so anyway, so I, I decided I need to explore that with Yvonne. So I did. And... Uh, Lo and behold, I found out, uh, you know, from, you know, delving into my subconscious that uh, these, these, there were people outside of the car, but they weren't necessarily people. They were very strange beings. I'll just call them, you know, whether they call them alien beings or they were not human beings. They didn't look like human beings. And uh, at, at a certain point, uh, I, I heard sounds and I, I, I heard uh, metallic sounds, a whooshing sound. I smelled the smell even more intensely as I was in my subconscious uh, realm, you know, recalling this stuff. And uh, then at one point, uh, Yvonne said, okay, uh, as you're thinking back in your subconscious, look next to you. And so I didn't think about that before in my conscious memory. So I looked and, and I said, he's not there. He's gone. And uh, and then I it really got strange in that I remember I couldn't move, and uh, I I at one point I was able to get out of the car as if I was paralyzed. And I got out of the car, and this is in the subconscious memories that are coming up with Yvonne. I get out, I go onto the dirt road, and there's an, a small being. The others were kind of tall. This one was kind of small, and he was on the road, and. Uh, it was like he was checking in with me. I don't know if it was like a clipboard or it wasn't like we would think of a clipboard, but some kind of thing in his hands, you know. And um, at that point, I uh, it, it gets really fuzzy at that point. But I, I, I think I remember being in a, in a different space other than that road and other than my car. It was like in a uh, I, I'll call it a spacecraft, but I don't know. It's it's too fuzzy. I felt like Ernie had been taken. That's that's uh, by these entities, alien entities. I'll call them alien entities. So what I did is I, I wrote all this down and because uh, I was going to make a story out of it and put it into the book. Well, I thought, well, I better check in with Ernie first. So I contacted him. I hadn't spoken to him in years, but we'd always been on a friendly basis. Just, you know, one of those friends you don't talk to for 10 years and then you talk to them. And so I uh, emailed him. And I, I told him, uh, do you remember, I, I started off kind of obliquely. I said, do you remember that trip we took in 1977? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, do you remember weird things happening? He said, yeah, I remember the, uh, 
the uh, uh, the the truck. I he said, yes, I remember the truck, and I remember we almost had we almost had a head-on collision. And I said, do you remember where we went off the forest road where we camped? He said, yes, I remember. Uh, it was black, and he remembered Black Pine Peak, which I looked up on a map and verified it that that where it was. And uh, I said, do you remember anything else? And he said, well, there were some strange lights. There were. Uh, some strange sounds. And other than that, I, I, you know, he said it was very, you know, that, that he said it was an unusual experience, but he can't really remember much more. So then I told him what I had done with the, uh, the hypnotherapy and his reaction was very negative. It was very, very negative. He said, why didn't you tell me that when you first emailed me? Why did you, why were you so coy about it? Why did you not tell me right away? Uh, he said, because, uh, and I said, well, I'm writing this story in my book. He said, well, you cannot use my name. That's one thing. Uh, and, and I, I said, okay. And then, uh, he was very upset and he, he wouldn't, I would email him. He wouldn't email me back. I actually talked to him on the phone too about it. Uh, and then I got an email back from him and it was very angry tone. It was, uh, well, uh, what if I write my own story and publish it? And he said, but I guess it would be kind of ruined because you probably publish it before me. And then he said, and this is the weird, the really weird part. He said, uh, I do have some memories. Uh, I remember some aliens and I, and I do remember them saying, this is, this is my friend Ernie talking or what he wrote. He said, uh, this one's quite a squealer, isn't he? Uh, you think he'd never seen pincers before which is kind of funny and kind of scary at the same time. And uh, he went further than that. And because I had said in an earlier email that I'm really sorry that he felt that way, that I wasn't trying to trick him. I was just trying to kind of ease into it because it's not something you necessarily bring up right away with somebody. You want to kind of ease them into it. And uh, he, he said, well, the, the reason you probably feel bad is because you allowed your, your friend, your best friend, he was my best friend, to be abducted. That's probably why you feel bad. And you should feel bad about it. Now, at this point, I didn't know if he was kidding or if he was serious, uh, but he was very angry. That was for sure. So I reported this to Yvonne, and she said that's a very typical reaction. And she's, you know, hypnotized and interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, for the last 28 years. And she said, that's a pretty typical reaction. She has an organization uh, that de deals with that. Yes, she, she's the president of CERO, uh, the uh, Close Encounter Resource Organization. They used to be called the Close Encounter Research Organization, but then they thought, some people thought they had to be an academic to be part of it. So they changed it to research organization. So she's the president of that. She's been doing this for 28 years, hundreds of people she's interviewed. Uh, resource, resource, resource organization. organization. Yeah, C-E-R-O. Uh, and uh, so she said that's that's very typical when there's a tandem experience. One person will accept that this was probably an, an alien encounter. The other one will will take a very negative view and don't and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. So oftentimes this happens, and not just between friends. She said it happens between. Uh, uh, married couples, boyfriend, girlfriend, and that, I mean, you know, people that have long-standing relationships and it divides them up. That happened to Terry and his, uh, and his friend, his Air Force friend. They didn't, 
really speak after that experience. In fact, they drifted apart. And so she said that was very typical. And and then to kind of put a, 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 a closure to this, I, I, I remembered I'd, I was writing poetry at the time. I still write poetry occasionally. So I, I remember that I wrote a poem after that experience. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I dug it up in my, I, l- I looked through my old folders. I save all my writing. And it was a handwritten poem. And I called it Visitors. And in there, I talk about selling out to the aliens. Now, remember, this is an 18, 19-year-old kid writing this, you know, so it's not exactly quality poetry. But, but in there, I do mention pincers. I mentioned pincers that, you know, that, that my family, you have to forgive me, my family was under their pincers, you know. And as soon as I heard, I, I read that and I remembered writing this poem, I go, oh my, this is, this is somewhat of some kind of validation for what he had said and now what I hadn't remembered until he said that. And um, so it was an interesting experience in that it was based on my, my uh, conscious memories my recovered subconscious memories from the uh, hypnotherapy and uh, and also my friend Ernie's memories. And then this this poem that I had written, this very I mean, it's a very strange poem. Why? Why would I write that poem right after we returned from that trip? So I put the things together into the, the, the story uh, in the book. And that's that's one of the more interesting ones that because from a research standpoint, it has different elements. to it. It's not just me kind of having fuzzy memories going in to see Yvonne, and then I write about the experience. Um, which, by the way, when you have these hypnotherapy sessions, some of it comes out during the session, and it's recorded, of course. I record all of my sessions, as she does as well. But uh, what comes after is very interesting. The next few days, sometimes up to three or four days later, you start having very profound lucid dreams about about uh, the experience so it kind of opens up something in you and uh, so I I write that into the story as well and um, anyway that that was one of the more I've had four of those experiences that that was one that just happens to coincide with the same year that uh, that uh, Terry had his experience so in doing I've had four or five hypnotherapy sessions so uh, about different experiences and uh, all of them have been very enlightening and very helpful for me and uh, have uh, kind of illuminated some things that I have thought about before and even written about before in like the first book but I didn't really go deep enough into it and now I have in this book and it's 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 been quite a journey and, it, and like I said it's uh, I'm, I'm testing, you know, it is kind of frightening sometimes because I'm testing the limits and of my own, you know, as, as a, a professional, as an academic, you know, I, I uh, and even though I am a storyteller, I mean, that's part of who, what historians are, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of tests the limits of that. And also, I'm, you know, you, you worry about being accepted as, as factual or as uh, legitimate. And because there are a lot of folks in that community who, uh, for one reason or another, are very far out there, and, and there's a lot of conspiracy theories and stuff, and it, and it kind of gets tangled up and messed up. And uh, and, and I think that uh, you know that, that that is a rabbit hole I don't want to go down. 
Now, are you talking about uh, the UFO community or the community of professional historians? Well, <laughs> I guess I was talking about the UFO community, but you could probably talk about some in the history profession as well. They, I think there are, there are problems within our own community. But no, I was referring to the UFO community. Now, when you were a teenager and this experience occurred to you, did you have an interest in UFOs at that time of your life? No. That's the weird thing. No, not at all. Uh, I mean, other than science fiction movies or something, I mean, just, you know, not like I wasn't obsessed with it or thinking about it. I mean, I watched Star Trek like everybody else and and, uh, you know, I watched the, the sci-fi movies and I loved uh, 2001 The Space Odyssey, all that stuff. So I was exposed to the same stuff everybody else was. But uh, no, I was not. I can't say that I was really a, a you know a follower of any of that or interested in in researching it. That would, uh, although I did in 1979 when I was stationed in West Germany in the U.S. Army, I I took a uh, a, a parapsychology class, which I think I mentioned last time we spoke, and that kind of caused me to search a little bit deeper into uh, my experiences, and I started writing about them, but. There wasn't necessarily a, uh, a, a UFO or alien connection at that point. Mm -hmm. Now, I can see behind you the cover of uh, your comic book, Snark, uh, about a, an alien. I seem to recall you saying that the, the early uh, drafts of those stories that appear in the comic book of, about an alien visiting Earth, and it's it's very witty. I highly recommend it uh, to our viewers. But I, I seem to recall you writing that you started working on that at an early age. Well, I, I did. And so, it, you know, it, it is true that I wasn't uh, uh, obsessed or really researching all this, but the story about Snark happened uh, when I was in engineering school at Montana Tech in Butte, Montana. So it was the uh, the winter of it was January 1982. I just got out of the military the first time, so I, I did two hitches in the in the army, uh, and I was in engineering school. And it came to me in a dream: this character, this snark character, the name, this idea that he was an alien hybrid. You know, it just kind of popped into my head as an idea. And I I was taking calculus, I was taking chemistry, I was taking all the standard engineering courses, engineering, technical writing, all that stuff. But I also joined the newspaper staff and I had this idea that I wanted to take this character that popped into my head and make a, a comic strip because I'd always drawn. I was I would draw comics and I'm a frustrated comic book artist. I'm not very good, but, you know, I'm better than, you know, the average person, but not not quality enough to do my own comic book. But anyway, I did a comic strip for the school newspaper and I did about five of them, I think, that semester. And uh, that's when I got into the story. So, uh, but then I put it aside because I dropped out of engineering school, went back into the army and then life happened, had, you know, more, you know, I had two kids already. And then, you know, so just everything happened after that. I went to work for Boeing and it's eventually got into academics, but, um, far away from engineering, but the idea was still there, kind of in dormant, lying dormant. And it was in January of uh, 2019 that my second eldest son, who lives in Ohio, who's an engineer, uh, fashioned, uh, he had the old Snark comic strip. I don't know how he got a hold of it. I, it. Maybe it was something that I had given him or a copy of it or whatever. And he fashioned a, uh, uh, a bust of Snark's head. And uh, 
he has a 3D printer and he went ahead and printed it and gave it to me as a late Christmas present. And that brought me to think, oh, I got to bring this idea back. So this is how this stuff happens. <laughs> just It just happened to coincide with, uh, you know, with my uh, spiritual reawakening, I guess, too. But s- still, I, uh, I said, okay, now I'm going to do this comic book because I always wanted to do a full comic book. And uh, I already was working with Gary Dumb, the artist who's worked with me on all the timeless books and wonderful artist, been around since the 70s, worked with Harvey P. Carr and American Splendor. So he's well known. Uh, and he's he was totally on board with, with Snark. So we went ahead and uh, I started doing some rough drawings and story, you know, storyboarding, sent it to him. And it came out uh, late uh, last year. Uh, the mm-hmm. first comic book. So, lifelong dream, 37 years in the making, I like to say. So, if we sort of take a look into your psyche, we're looking at a, a professional historian, a, a military veteran, a person who seems to have had uh, something akin to an abduction experience, a person who's a, a creative writer, poet, and cartoonist, uh, and writing cartoons about a, uh, I think, a reptilian alien uh, who who has all sorts of adventures uh, on Earth, and and it's uh, you know there's a little bit of cynicism that comes through there, sure. I think. Yeah, and and, and a lot of humor, and uh, also because of your re- regression uh, and your other experiences. Uh, you you have what some people might call mediumistic talent or talent as a channel uh, uh, it, it, that uh, it, it's I think it's fair to say that you sincerely believe yourself to be in communication with uh, I'm going to call them hyperdimensional entities that could be related to extraterrestrials or hyperdimensional beings and and also the deceased yes. It's been quite a ride, quite an interesting uh, experience, and it and it it continues. It continues every day. Um, so yes, I think that that captures it, and and it also kind of shows that uh, you know yes, I am pushing the envelope. I like to say I I used to in the army the second hitch in the army I was a helicopter pilot. So um, one of my favorite movies. Uh, a lot of us who were in flight school uh, was the right stuff. We loved that movie. And, uh, well, we loved any kind of helicopter movie, any aviation movie, wh- whatever it was. But anyway, I remember that, you know, this pushing the envelope. And I really feel that's what I'm what I'm doing as an academic uh, and with the experiences I've had. Uh, and uh, I, I am comfortable with the path that I'm on, but it was – it's still very, very challenging because you don't – well, I'll, I'll use a quote from uh, John Mack, Dr. John Mack, the late J- John Mack. Uh, I think it was Passport to the Cosmos. Uh, he had a patient. Uh, he, he asked the, the patient had asked this alien entity that they were in contact with that I supposedly she'd been adu- abducted by. Uh, uh, are we supposed? What was it? It was it. Uh, you probably remember the quote. It was. Uh, uh, are we? Do you want us? To, uh, do you want us to believe in you? And, and the alien entity said, we want you to believe in us, but not too much. Which I think is very, very telling. That's very interesting because if you start thinking that everything, it's the same with the paranormal. If you think everything is paranormal, I think that's a slippery slope right there. 
And if you think everything is some kind of alien entity or that uh, you're obsessed with it or that everything is somehow related to it constantly, then I think it's a slippery slope as well. So I, I always think that having that grounding, whether it's an academic grounding or you're a, a carpenter or whatever your other thing is, it's very important to, yes, to explore the boundaries, but to also have that place to come back to. And it's important to have a supportive spouse or a companion. Uh, in my case, uh, Ginger is is not a, uh, uh, an aficionado of alien stuff or, or even paranormal stuff. But she's very accepting of it, of, of the exploration that I'm on, on the journey that I'm on. So she will listen to me and then she will say, OK, let's go dig a hole, you know, which brings me directly back down to earth. Right. <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> if I were to try and summarize uh, what, what I think you're really becoming known for, uh, from my perspective as a parapsychologist, is, is the concept of the personal paranormal experience, getting people to uh, open up in, in an autobiographical sense and talk about what's going on in their inner life that, that might have paranormal implications. I think there's tremendous growth that can be gained from that. And, and as, as a writer too, you know, taking risks, revealing yourself, being vulnerable, which I do in these books. I mean, I had one person say, this is a story about a very flawed human being, a very admirable, but flawed human being, you know? Yeah. I, it's warts and all. I mean, it really does go into some mistakes that I've made, but uh, it, it documents, I believe, honestly, this journey that, I think we're all on. And of course, that's the way I teach history, too, is from a personal perspective. Uh, and the, the course that I teach at Citrus College, other than my regular history courses, my I have a paranormal course that I teach paranormal personal history. So it all comes back to that. Now, you, you write about um, having... Uh, I guess the best ongoing conversations with an alien and uh, where you reflect upon some of uh, these experiences and uh, you're able to converse back and forth uh, in real or in present time, looking back on like what's happened to you and uh, how did that begin for you? Well, <laughs> that's a very, yeah. And I, I pretty much saved that. Well, I did, share a little bit at the end of the second book. And then the third book talks a lot about Anzar, the, the, this character. Uh, my best description of him is an ancient alien mystic. And he came to me first with not the name Anzar, but the progenitor. And I had a vision in 1997 of this kind of proto-human entity revolving in space. And it was during one of my meditative, you know, visions that I was having. And uh, he shared with me some information about uh, the different dimensions, about time, and some stuff that was, frankly, too advanced for me at the time to really understand. I had to really delve into it. So I kind of put that, but I put it aside, except I did share it with one colleague. I remember in 2001, was an anthropology professor at the college, and I, I uh, went up to her and I said, hey, I had this experience, you know, the progenitor, and, and I shared the story. I even drew a picture of him, you know, and showed it to her. And she just looked at me and said, you're a pretty spacey dude. <laughs> so I said, okay. I said, okay, you know, forget about it. It's all right. So I just kind of, I got that. It wasn't really a, a rejection. It was kind of humorous, but I kind of put it aside. And it wasn't until 2016 that I 
you know, my, my friend Gene died, who I talked about last time, and he was a dear friend. And he came to me in a vision about a month after his death and told me it was time to now reveal these stories and dig deeper. And he gave me the name of the, the, the trilogy, you know, which is timeless. So, uh, it was, I guess I, I, I started before I was ready, you know, in, in, in 2001. And I wasn't ready till 2016 to really in earnest have this, uh, I call it a spiritual reawakening, but not in a classic sense, more of a modern sense, I guess. I don't know. But uh, uh, through, through the book, I found out that that really wasn't my first encounter with this character I'll call Anzar, that it could be traced back to 1964, so, which is rather interesting. I go into great detail about that in, in the book, one of my first uh, alien experiences that I suspect, anyway, was an alien. At this point, you're, you're a child. Right, right. Six years old, yeah. Yeah, and then there was another experience in 1973, and then the 77 one I talked about, and another very profound one in 1978. So those are the four. I don't like to say abduction. I call them reunions because I feel like what I'm getting from this whole thing is that is that we're all connected. You know, it's not. I call it a reunion with uh, you know with people that we have been connected to sometime in the past, in time and space or whatever. I don't really understand it completely, but I don't think of them as really an abduction. It's not, and two of them were actually pretty helpful experiences. They weren't uh, negative. Now, my friend Terry had a very negative experience and a lot of people do, but uh, at least two of mine were actually pretty helpful experiences. But I do want to say this about Anzar. Yes, I do. When I do my meditative walks, I have communication with him. And I have a friend of mine in that Ciro group I mentioned. Her name is Lucinda, and I have permission to use her name and tell this story. But she, uh, at one of the Ciro meetings, I decided I was going to invite Anzar. I just thought, okay, I would like you to come and see who can see you. Is it just me, or can other people see you? So I didn't mention his name or anything. I just, at the beginning of the Ciro meeting, it was, I think, in, um, uh, in down in Orange County, I... Uh, uh, I told everybody, okay, I have a special visitor with me today. I just want to know sometime, you know, after the meeting, let me know if you see anybody, you know. So after the meeting, uh, Lucinda came up to me and she said, I see somebody who was standing behind you. Uh, he was very tall and she described him as looking like a southeastern uh, kachina, like a kachina doll. You know, and I said, well, I kind of see him as a, you know, proto-human, but I can see kind of that connection and very tall. And and I said, well, and I'll tell you his name. I said, she didn't tell me the name. I said, his name is Anzar. And she, her eyes got really big. And she said, you're, you're kidding. I said, no, his name is Anzar. And she pulled out her wallet and her driver's license and she showed me she lives on Via de Anzar. That's the name of her street that she lives on. Now, that could be a coincidence, but the fact that she was the only person who saw him, and it was fairly similar to the description of how I see him, uh, and, and of course, when you translate via de Anzar, the way to Anzar. So, and she's a very intuitive uh, person. She's a, uh, the way she describes herself as a, um, a uh, kind of a, oh, what, what could I say? Kind of, she, she's really much in the Native American tradition. Kind of in that in that tradition of her her medicine, you know, that she practices, and uh, and she's very psychic, a very very nice person. She she was at um, at uh, um, oh what's the, the the location of Wounded Knee, 
the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation for a, it was actually a UFO conference, a very small one, very exclusive people invited. And she had a number of experiences there. Very interesting lady. But anyway, so that, that kind of gave me some validation a, a little bit, you know, and uh, uh, at the very least, I think a huge synchronicity <laughs> there, I think. The fact that uh, she lives on Anzar Street, Via de Anzar, and you have uh, communication with uh, an ostensible entity that uh, the name who, who you name or it named itself Anzar. What, what do you make of that? Well, I do see it as somewhat of a validation. The fact that she's the only other person that's ever written about or not or spoken of him. I've done a lot of research to find out, you know, the origins of the name. There's some very interesting origins go back to the Middle East and also the Basque region of Spain. And, and, uh, you know, there's different interpretations of the name or what it means. And, uh, which is all very interesting, but the fact that she saw him and, uh, and, and, and the fact that she lives on that street and the fact that she, she thought more about it. And she told me that she believes in her view, uh, she, she calls herself a shamanic practitioner. That, that's what she calls herself. Anyway, I remembered it now. Uh, she thinks that he's an aspect of me. That's what she thinks. That's her interpretation that whoever he is, whether he is this ancient alien mystic, which I think he is, uh, the progenitor, uh, that an aspect of him is an aspect of me. And I actually asked him about that, and he said that we are connected. That's why he says that we are connected. She says, uh, have, has there been an integration? And I said, no, I've never heard him mention that term. I've never processed that, but that's an I interesting idea. And I asked him about it in one of my meditative walks, and he said, well, because I was concerned, what does that integration mean? Does that mean that I lose my my sense of self, who I am? Do I then check out early and I, you know, I'll, you know, drop over dead or something, you know, what's going to happen. And he assured me that, no, it's just a better connection and uh, that this integration could take place and it would help me uh, make the connection easier, quicker, and he can pass on information to me, which is often very, very wise and helpful beyond, I think, what I know and, what, and the wisdom that I have. It enhances what I the way I see the world. Um, and I, I, I think that she's helped me a little bit with that. And, and, and so I think that's what it, that's what it means. I think that's why I'm in communication with them. It's, it's, it's part of this mission, I think, to not only am I on this uh, uh, journey for myself, but for others as well. So that's why I like, as a writer, I like to, to share what I'm learning and what people find helpful, I, I hope that they do find it helpful and it means something to them and what they, you know, and they could disregard whatever they don't find helpful. So it's, you know, I'm not forcing them to believe anything. Um, I'm just sharing my own experience. And uh, so I, I, I think it, it continues to grow and I, I continue to grow in the experience and, uh, you know, exploring this, this type of consciousness and my, my ability to reach, uh, this connection, not only with him, but with those that have passed on, has actually enhanced the last couple of years as I've been doing this pretty much th four times or more a week. So with practice, you get better on anything, with anything. And um, But I also know that there's pitfalls with this kind of, there's, there's 
there's there can be dead ends you know there can be uh you know when i read uh about uh um you know buddhism and and um and all these practices and 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 also um uh yoga you know the yogic practices this idea that you if you if you get too you know too consumed by the remarkable paranormal stuff you you don't reach the highest ascendancy you know you you're not going to go to the to you know where you're supposed to go you'll get bogged down in that kind of stuff and it remi- it reminded me when i was thinking about that it reminded me of your book uh the pk man now here was and i'm not comparing myself to ted owens at all don't get me wrong I, you know that he was at a very high level and a different type of, you know, we're talking about psychokinesis. With me, it's, you know, the uh, uh, mediumship, you know, more what it is. But but still, you know, uh, I know that one of the things that happened with him is that he wanted to be accepted for this tremendous talent that he had, which I think you document really well in your book. And uh, and he was frustrated at every turn. It was like the government people wouldn't listen to him. They thought he was too hot to handle or whatever. And if I'm characterizing it correctly. So then he would actually use that power for not so good things, which got him deeper into his own, you know, problems. So I think uh, I can understand where that can happen with this kind of a journey, that you have to be really careful. You have to be really careful that you don't get too preoccupied with yourself. This idea that I am so important or I'm so gifted or whatever. No, it's the mission that's more important. And the spirits have actually told me that, the, you know, this idea of what you're doing is to help alleviate the suffering of others. That's it. And professional psychics have told me, they said, you know, they do it for a living. They say it's, it's not about being right. It's about being helpful. And if you're not being helpful, then it, you're not on the right path. So I think that's really good advice from people who have, you know, much farther ahead than me. And using uh, Ted Owens as kind of an example, a a cautionary tale, if you will. Well, I'd like to go back, though, to this synchronicity of uh, the name Anzar. Uh, It seems to me that it says something about the nature of the universe itself. I, yeah, this idea of consciousness. um, Now, I think that uh, my connection, my connection to him, if I go back to 1997, when he was trying to explain how, you know, there is no past, there is no present, it's all the eternal now, you know, at the time, I didn't really understand it because of the way he said it, you know, and then, and maybe we were just beginning to really establish our relationship. And, uh, and then when my friend Gene put it in his very, you know, colloquial way, because he was a very gregarious, he was an actor, very nice guy, but very down to earth, you know, and he just said, hey, listen, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm dead. This is a month after he had died and he came to me in this vision. He said, "Uh, you have to understand, you know, there, 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 there's no, there's, for me, there's no past, there's no future. It's just everything right now, everything at once, which is really what, Anzar was saying in 1997, but saying it in a different way, in a way maybe I could more easily understand. And uh, I, I think the way I see it now that I've kind of had all these experiences is that uh, the spirit world, the alien world, and the quantum world, I think are really all the same thing. 
Now, I know there are scientists that would uh, uh, disagree with that, and I've I've heard some. I've heard you interview one or two of them that have seemed to be reluctant to go there, <laughs> but I'm going there just because. Not that I'm a scientist, but I just from my experiences, I kind of see that. And I did. I have read a lot about uh, quantum physics, and when you think about like ghosts, for instance, you know, you think about people who have experienced ghosts, which I have too. They can appear out of nowhere, and then they'll disappear. They'll disappear and disappear. They'll move through walls, they'll move through doors, through ceilings, whatever. They seem to be in a different phase or a different uh, level of vibration or whatever you want to call it, a different dimension. Well, when people talk about alien abductions, they're talking about it's very similar, their experience. The aliens can pop in out of nowhere and they can disappear at will, apparently. They can go through walls, they can go through ceilings, they can do all this stuff. They can transport them through the ceiling of their house or out their window with, you know, and uh, so it sounds to me like there is very much a very similar force at work there. And there, there's too many similarities to just brush it aside. I think it needs to, you know, not that I, you know, I, I haven't got a formal theory. I just have a hunch that that's what's going on uh, based on my, you know, study of quantum, quantum physics and the, how the subatomic world works. Seems a lot like what these spirits and what these, uh, the ghosts or whatever and the aliens are doing, and they have a better understanding of it. And we catch glimpses of it. I think when I'm speaking to somebody who's uh, uh, passed away, uh, like a friend uh, asked me uh, this morning when I went on my spirit walk, uh, could you talk to these relatives of hers, which I did. And uh, I was able to get some information and I share it with them. And then they sometimes respond back and tell me, oh, the, you know, this is... Uh, yeah, that, that's what they, you, how could you have known that? You know, sometimes they'll tell me that. Other times they won't tell me anything. But I've learned not to ask them what I got right and what I got wrong because it doesn't matter. What matters is that they're satisfied that I made this connection and that they like the information. They don't attack me or whatever afterwards. It's, so I'm being helpful. So that's, I mean, I mean that's, the, that's kind of the helpful connection that I see that uh, my connection with Anzar is helping me with all these other things as well. Now, if I understand right, uh, rightly, you really do accept that Anzar is an autonomous entity separate from you. Yes. Yes and no. <laughs> I'm going to say yes and no, because uh, there is that lingering in my mind that, um, you know, what Lucinda said, that he is an aspect of me, which is very interesting. Maybe there's, there's something. He says we're connected. So does that mean he's me in another dimension or he is a separate entity and we're connected in some other way? Maybe, you know, you know, through lineage or whatever. Who knows? I, I think there I th I, I, I'm going to stick with what Lucinda said. There's he's in, and he's told me that, too. There's an aspect of me that's an aspect of him. So I, I, I think that's that's my best understanding of what it would be. Yeah. Of course, the mystics all over the world would say, we are all one. Everything is connected to everything, and we are one. Ultimately, if, if we are able to access the very source of our being, uh, it would be the source of uh, the being of everything that exists. A guy that you interviewed, uh, uh, Jack... So Sarfati, Jack Sarfati. Yeah, Sarfati, yeah. And talking about David Bohm and the three levels of reality, you know, the, the, uh, uh, if I can remember correctly, it was the, 
the explicate, the implicate, and the super implicate, you know, which really attracted me when I read, when I heard your interview with him, I looked at, I did a lot of research on him and David Bohm, and it all seemed to make sense to me. It made a lot of sense to me. And of course, the ultimate, the super implicate, which David Bohm, I guess, never really fully explained. And then Jack kind of interprets some of it, I guess, or his own ideas, but this idea that that is the ultimate consciousness, that, you know, what people would call God or, you know, whatever. All of these experiences, to me, are sort of pointing toward uh, what I'd have to call the mystical path, you know, the which is the path of oneness, the path where there's no separation anymore between uh, you and me and, uh, you know, the most distant galaxy. I... I, I think that's probably where it's heading, and that's part of the, uh, I'm not going to say apprehension, but it is sometimes rather frightening when you start to really think in those terms, but in, in, the, in, in, in another way, kind of comforting, too, you know, too knowing that we're all connected. And uh, this, you know, who, who I say that I am is really just an aspect of everybody else, you know, that we're all connected in this I think it was once described as a soup, a giant soup. You know, we're all floating around in there, mm-hmm. all connected from here to the edges of the, the galaxy or the, the universe. So. I mean, the synchronicity that you experience with you and Lucinda and Anzar and her her street address, of all things, uh, it, it suggests to me that we're, we're living in a, a kind of dream, you might say, or kind of a story in, in which uh, we we are like the eyes of the universe and and uh, it, it's a way for the universe to communicate with itself. I was just, uh, who was I reading? Uh, oh, it was uh, uh, Red Elk. Yeah, I have his book right here. Red Elk was talking about, I, I don't, I can't remember the quote exactly, but it's something like, uh, this, this is all a dream. Did I not tell you that? <laughs> it's a very simple phrase or something to that effect. I'm probably not make, you know, doing justice to his quote. And he, he, of course, has passed away. But um, yeah, Red Elk uh, said that, you know, he referred to that. And I just read that recently in his book of short stories. Shakespeare said the same thing. Yep. Uh-huh. Well, Bruce, this has been a delightful conversation. I'm uh, really pleased that you've got another book out. Uh, uh, I I know if it wasn't for the uh, pandemic going on, you'd probably be here in Albuquerque with me. But uh, it's it's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, we had planned on it. Ginger and I enjoyed our trip last year. Um, we enjoyed meeting you, and 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 you know, I enjoyed being in the studio with you. But I guess this is the next best thing, and I'm glad we could make this connection. Well, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you very much. And for those of you watching, thank you for being with us. 